Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all this morning, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online. Thanks for being with us today, and thank you so much for worshiping King Jesus together. He is alive, He is our living hope, and we have a lot of reasons to rejoice. And so it is good to be together with you today and to sing to Jesus together. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at GFC. Just a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to have our sermon uh, coming up here. But uh, just a couple things real quick. First of all, if you are new with us, thanks for being with us. We would love to tell you more about why Jesus is our living hope, who we are here at GFC. And uh, we have these next step cards. And I'd encourage you to fill that out. Just put it in the drop box in the back of the room or go to our website. You can find a digital copy of that. Also, if you're new with us, we have a gift we'd like to give you. Just go to the Next Steps desk out in the lobby. Inside, there's a coupon for a free coffee, so I'd encourage you to check that out. But uh, we want to get to know you if you're new, and we want to tell you about who we are and why we love Jesus. Uh, coming up here, we got a couple things going on. Uh, we have an event coming up here uh, in July. It is the Woman's Ice Cream Social, all right? So that's coming up Saturday, July 1st at 6.30 p.m. So uh, ladies, mark your calendar. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, you're going to get to eat ice cream, so it's going to be awesome, all right? Ice cream is the best. So uh, mark your calendars for uh, Saturday, July 1st. Also, 4th of July is coming up. It's right around the corner. Uh, it's a month from today. Crazy, all right? But 4th of July is awesome. And if you haven't been here at GFC before for the 4th of July, uh, our community descends upon our property because they set off fireworks here in our backfield. And it's awesome. It's a great time to have the community here. And as a church, we like to just welcome people in and make them feel welcome here on our property. So we hand out popsicles and glow sticks and different things and just walk around and have conversations with people. It's a simple but a fun way to just engage our community to get to talk to people. And you never know what kinds of conversations you're going to have and how you can bless someone's day. So that's going to be a fun time. Uh, We'll have more about that over the next month, uh, but it'll be a great time to serve together and just enjoy fireworks together as a church family. So uh, if you're free that day, we'd love to see you for the 4th of July. Uh, lastly, if you want to make giving part of your worship today, you can do that in the back of the room, in the drop boxes, or online. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are our living hope. We have your word, and it points to that reality, that you didn't stay dead. You came back to life, and you are still alive today. You resurrected, and you've ascended to heaven, and one day you will return and restore all things. And we are nothing without you. We are nothing without this living hope. So thank you for being alive. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I thank you that we could gather today, sing your praises. And right now, I pray that you'll be with Pastor Corey as he, as he comes and, and preaches. May you speak through him to our hearts. Be with us, God. Prepare us to receive what you have for us. We love you, Lord. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for loving us first. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I, like he said, you know, 4th of July is a month away. I feel like we just got through Christmas. Like that's how, and, and then it was Easter. Now it's 4th of July already. So we're really excited about that. Just to, just to reiterate that, if you haven't been here on the 4th of July, it's crazy and it's awesome and it's fun. And you have to get here, like the fireworks are at like 9 o'clock. You have to be here by like 4.30 or you're not going to be able to see them. But people, people just come to our backyard. And so one of the things that we love to do is we hand out those popsicles and water and glow sticks. And it's a great time for just us to be in and amongst people. Uh, that are a part of our community. And people come to us and say, hey, can we use your bathroom? And we say, great. And they walk in and just get to see our space and we get to interact with them. So we would love 
to have you be a part of that with us. Volunteer for that. We do need donations of popsicles. We, we hand out the bomb pops, like the red, white, and blue popsicles that are fun. So if you want to donate those, you can start doing that. We have a freezer downstairs. We can start putting those in. Um, so we're really, really, really excited about that, and we want you to be a part of it. So plan to, to be a part of that on the 4th of July. So today, though, we're talking about soundtracks. We've been in this sermon series for, this is a fourth week. This is our summer series, so this will take us through uh, actually the end of July. And so you can see the tagline there, the truth you believe will produce the fruit you see. And just to give you a little bit of background where we've been, walking through the book of Luke, uh, and I was reading a book called Soundtracks by a guy named John Acuff, who's a Christian, but not, the book is not necessarily a Christian book, but he's a Christian author. And as I was reading it last year, I thought this idea of soundtracks and what we store in our hearts and minds is not just something that goes towards overthinking, which is the way he processes it, but it actually helps us understand how we live out the truth that we believe God gives to us. And so we've been thinking about that. And the thing that we know is that the soundtrack plays a huge role in how we understand the story. And so if you're watching a movie or you're watching a TV show or you're playing a video game and you hear the music associated with that scene... It helps us understand what's going on. And I would say that the same thing is true in our lives. When we think about the soundtracks, the things that we allow to play over and over again in our minds or in our hearts, the things that we believe to be true or the things we've been told about ourselves, it will change and influence the way we experience life. So let me just give you a really easy example. If you are someone that's been left your whole life. Maybe people leave often. Maybe your parents weren't super involved with you. You've lost friends and you've gone through stuff like that. You text somebody and they don't get back to you for five hours. What's the soundtrack that starts to play in your mind? Here's somebody else that's going to leave. They don't want to hang out with me. They don't want to get back to me. Or if you're on the other side and you've been told, hey, sometimes people don't get back to you just because they're busy or they have this going on or that going on. They'll get back to you eventually, right? If that's been your experience, then when someone doesn't text you back for like four hours, you're like, oh, they just had a busy day, right? The soundtrack that lives in your brain helps you see and understand different aspects of life. And so I think that that's true in scripture as well. And so we came to Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 43. We'll read through 45. It says, A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. Verse 45. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And I talked about before how that idea of treasure is a treasure of words. It's where we get the word thesaurus from. So the words we treasure, the words we store up in our hearts are going to influence the way that we live. This is what Jesus says. And so then you start naturally talking about fruit, right? And and the fruit of our lives. And if you've been in church for a while, your brain automatically goes to Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23. The fruits of the Spirit says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So the question is, and what we're tackling, is how do we actually live out these things? Because we can look at the fruit of the Spirit and go, yeah, that's just what I aim for. That sounds good. That would be a positive thing for me to live out. But how does that actually happen? What does that look like? And how do I make sure that the fruits of the Spirit are my default. It's just automatically what happens and not something that I have to maybe change or turn towards. Now, our sinful desires are always going to be there moving us away from these things, but we can believe certain truths in our lives that are going to make us lean more towards these things uh, on a regular basis. 
And so today, we're going to talk about peace. We talked about love a couple weeks ago. Pastor Andrew talked about joy last week. Today, we're going to talk about peace. And the way we've kind of framed this, and we're going to do this again today, is I've come up with, and Pastor Andrew's come up with a lie. So what is something we believe, maybe, that just generally we've been told through culture, just is natural for humans, that we would believe that would stop us from producing this fruit in our lives. And we come up with that lie, and then later we'll give you the truth, okay? So here's the lie I think can be in place that stops us from living a life of peace. And here it is. In order for life to be under control, I need to be in control. In order for life to be under control, I need to be in control. Now, you might say, if you've been around here for a while, that I talk about this a lot. Like, the idea of control comes up a lot. And it's true. I do kind of come back to this. And here's why. I think our relationship with control, especially as adults, is a keystone thing for us to understand in our relationship with Jesus. I think a lot of whether we're obedient to God or not comes back to this idea of control. Let me, let me just give you an example of, of how this plays out, right? Many of us, like statistically speaking, most of us, if we've decided to follow Jesus, we do that when we're less than 18 years old. Statistically, that's just the way it happens. So if you're like me, I was six years old. Maybe some of you are a little older, maybe a little bit younger. You decided to follow Jesus in the Sunday school room or something like that along the way. What are you super used to when you're a child? Being under control of somebody else, right? You have a parent that's always in charge of you. You have a teacher that's always in charge of you. You have a pastor that's always in charge of you. You have a coach that's always in charge of you. And even if you go to something like summer camp and you leave your home and you go to even be in the, like under the care of like an 18-year-old for like a week, right? What do your parents say to the camp counselor? You need to listen to Johnny, right? Make sure you listen. You are now, I'm handing my authority over to this person. You have to listen. So you're used to as a kid being under control of adults. It just is, is happening. So it's not an odd thing when someone says, follow Jesus, this is what you're supposed to do. But then we get to be adults. You turn 18 or you move out of the house or you go to college and all of a sudden, guess what? All that control, oh, no one's in control of me anymore. Things shift. This happened to me when I went to college, okay? Now, I went to college. I went to school to be a youth pastor. That's why I went. So I was going to plan to go to church for like the rest of my life. That was in the equation, okay? But you know what happened the first Sunday I was at college? I woke up and thought, I don't have to go to church today. No one's going to come knocking on my door to wake me up. No one is expecting me to be at church to serve or give or be on a team or whatever. Like, I can just sleep in and no one's going to come and get me, right? And the reason that was even just enticing was there's no control over me anymore. Like, I, I don't have to do it. Now, that lasted like one or two weeks. And then I had a friend who said, hey, would you come to church? Because they didn't go to school from very far away. So their church was like 20 minutes down the road. So I was like, yeah, I should probably do that because I'm a youth ministry major. So I went back to church, right? And went to church there for that rest of that year. But you get to that point where it's like, I don't have to listen to people anymore in certain situations. And I don't want the control. But at the same time, then we come back and we go, but Jesus is saying, you need to give me control of your life. And when we don't feel like we're in control, the temptation is to feel like we're out of control. And if I'm not in control, then I don't know what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, now I'm in a spiral where I'm going to a place I don't want to be. And so this idea of peace, we think at times, is dependent on my ability to control the situation or to make sure that I know what next domino is going to fall. And in reality, that's not the case. 
Um, Where we're going to go today, our main text is going to be Numbers chapter 13. So if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, You can turn on your phone and go there. If you want to follow along on our website, uh, get all the verses and all the notes right there on your phone or your tablet. You can scan the QR code that's on the back of the Next Steps card or is right up there on the screen for you. And you can follow along with all this fun stuff. But Numbers 13, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to hop our way through this story for a little bit. So Numbers 13, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan and the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. So let me just pause, set up the story a little bit so you know where we're at. Israelites have recently gotten out of Egypt. Okay, so they were in slavery. They get delivered. They get out. They cross the Red Sea. They go through, they get the Ten Commandments, all that stuff. And then they're getting ready to go into the promised land. So God says, take one leader from each ancestral tribe, so 12 guys, send them into the land ahead of time. So you might ask, well, why is he sending them into the land ahead of time? He doesn't give us an exact answer, but just logically, they're traveling with thousands and thousands of people into a place they don't know yet. So you send 12 guys in to kind of get the lay of the land and figure out, like you don't want to have to make a U-turn with thousands of people because you hit a dead end, right? So they kind of just go and they figure out where they're going, and then they're supposed to come back and make a report. So we jump down about 20 verses. We're going to jump down to verse 25. It says, After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community that they had what they had seen, And showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. Verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Verse 28. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. It's one of those weird things. You're like, who are the descendants of Anak? This is one of the weird Bible mysteries. We don't, Andrew and I had like an hour-long conversation on this one time because it's just one of those things people don't necessarily know. Go back a little further in history. There were these things called the Nephilim, which were basically people that were fallen angels and humans combined, okay? Don't know how the logistics of that happened, but it happened, okay? So then you kind of get down to these people, and they kind of seem like maybe they're the same. Here's what you need to know. They were giant, they were intimidating, and they had extra kind of, like, they were kind of superhero-ish. Like, we don't really know what that means, but they, there was some weird stuff happening, okay? The Bible is crazy, all right? So they see these people, and they go, yes, this is true. Like, we, we've got great produce, milk and honey, awesome. This is going to be great. But the people there are a problem. Like, when we have to deal with them, there's going to be a real issue. So here's how I summarized their report. God told us the truth, but we don't believe he's big enough to give us the land. It's like we went, we saw God was right. This is a great place. We would do really well in this spot. But the people we're talking about are going to mess us up. And we don't really think God is big enough to get us to where we need to go. But one person speaks up. One person for now. There's two later. In verse 30 of Numbers 13, it says, But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. So Caleb's on the opposite team. 
He goes, no, let's go right now. Like, we can do this. Let's just pack up. Let's walk in. Let's take over. God's got us. He told us we're going to be all right. Let's just do it. So Caleb at this point is the only voice saying, yeah, God can do what he said he's going to do. So let's just listen to him and go after it. But the other guys respond with this in verses 31 and 32. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. Against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw are huge. So what do you do when you want to make sure people believe you? You start grabbing more people to your team. So they start going around and just telling all the Israelites, we can't go in here, we're gonna die, is basically just what they're saying, to anyone who will listen. So now they've got this problem because that word is spreading to all these thousands of people. They're getting very uneasy about the situation, and they start to believe him. In verse 33, they go on. They say, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. I think that's a great tagline at the end of that conversation. Like, we thought we looked like grasshoppers, and they agreed, right? They looked at us and said, they're no, we're no match for them. They're ready to take us. This is a bad situation. And so the whole thing kind of starts to fall apart. Going on to the next verses, which is chapter 14. We're going to go to verses 1 and 2. It says, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they explained. Verses 3 and 4. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. This is a mess. You've got all these thousands of people. God says, I got a new place for you. This is going to be awesome. Great. They go spy it out. Yeah, God told us the truth, but there's these big people there we don't want to deal with. This is bad news. Everybody starts to freak out, and now you've got people saying, let's forget Moses, and let's go find a new leader that'll just take us back to Egypt. Remember what Egypt was like? Like, we were slaves and stuff, but yeah, it was kind of better than maybe just dying. So they decide they maybe want to try and go back. So jump down to verse 10. It says, but the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb, because Joshua spoke up then too and was on Caleb's team. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. Verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? Think about that for a minute. Not long ago, when God had delivered them from Egypt, you had all the plagues that happened. Right? This was not just normal stuff. Right? Water doesn't just turn to blood out of nowhere. Firstborn sons don't just die out of nowhere. Like This was God showing up and doing these amazing things. Then he's leading them to where, where they're going to get to the promised land. Like he, They've seen firsthand all the miracles that God has been doing. And God is talking to Moses, and he goes, Why won't they believe me? Why will they not listen? Even after all I've shown them. And this kicks off a conversation where God kind of goes, I'm just going to kill everybody. <laughs> Like, God's mad, like big mad. Like, this isn't, this isn't just a small thing. He is real mad about this. And Moses starts to argue. says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So you jump down to verse 20 and 21. 
says, Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory. In verse 22, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Verse 23. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. See, this was a big deal. This, this was an honor for the Israelites at this time to be the ones who would receive the blessing that was promised to their ancestors. Like they, they were going to be the people that got to cross over and got to inherit the land. and It was going to be amazing. But their attitude was wrong. And so God says, after all I've done for them, and I hear them saying, let's find a new leader to take us back to where I just delivered them from, he goes, forget it. These people are not going to enter. But then in verse 24, he, he points out Caleb. He says, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. So I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Verse 25, now turn around. Don't go towards the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So he says, Caleb, though. Caleb had peace even when it looked like things were out of control. And it's not like Caleb didn't see the big people. Like, it's not like the other guys that were on the trip go, Caleb, you were asleep or taking a nap at this point. We saw these guys, and you don't understand how bad this is going to be. No, Caleb saw them. He just believed God was going to show up. And so God says, but Caleb has the attitude that I desire. Caleb believes when I say that I'm going to do something, that I'm actually going to show up and do it. And so here's how I want us to kind of, like, get this, right? Like, we come to points in life, we're not going to be going into the promised land. It's a different idea. But you're go- we're going to come to points in life where we have to walk into whatever the next step of life is, whatever the next stage is. New job, stepping into a new job. Being an empty nester, stepping into that situation. Being a new parent, stepping into that situation. Going to a new school, stepping into that situation. Whatever it's going to be. And on the other side of that thing, we don't know what all the things are that are going to happen. The question is, are we going to trust in what God's doing as we step into that situation? And I think that this is true. This is the way I understand it. Distrust in God leaves you wandering instead of discovering. Like what happened because the Israelites decided to lean on their own understanding? They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That's what they get to do until everyone that had a bad attitude about this dies. And then the people that are the, the next group of people gets to go in. Instead, what they had the opportunity to do is if they followed God and walked into this, not knowing exactly what was going to happen, they could have discovered how God was going to move and what he was going to do. I think the same thing's true for us. We can decide to lean on our own understanding and say, I'm just going to kind of wander around in my own understanding. Or I can lean into God's understanding and say, I'm going to discover or see or learn how God is going to move in these situations and what that actually looks like. You know, Paul kind of chimes in on this 
um, in Philippians 4. And he just starts this part of the passage with, don't worry about anything. Like, what if you just stop there? Like, that's helpful, Paul, right? Doesn't that make everybody feel? When you are super worried about something, if someone comes on and just says, don't worry, does that make you feel better? No. Like, why would you tell me that? Like, I have good reason to worry. Like, leave me alone, okay? But going on in verses, through verses 6 and 7, he says this, right? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're going to camp here for a minute because there's a lot I want to work out, okay? Let's go through it piece by piece. Don't worry about anything. Thanks, Paul. But then he says, instead, pray about everything. Now, let's, I, I could do a whole sermon on this. I'm going to give you this, like really small version, okay? Sometimes the way we think of prayer is like a Christmas list. And we think, we see things like Paul's going to say next. He says, tell God what you need. We think that means tell God what you need and expect him to give you what you ask for. Here's the way I think we should think about prayer differently. Prayer is the opportunity for us and God to get on the same page and understand how God is moving and for us to move in that direction. So when we pray about something, if we say, God, here's the situation. I think I need this to happen. And God says, no, this is going to happen. It's not God saying no necessarily. It's God saying, I know better and let's go this direction instead. And it's the opportunity for then uh, for us to go, okay, I get that. Let's go that direction. This happens in life. Like you might have a suggestion at work or you might have as a, you might, as a kid, you might come to your parents and say, hey, I have an idea. This is what I want. Or this is how we're going to figure out. And your boss or the parent or whoever's in charge, they go, okay, I hear you. That situation is not perfect, but like I have an idea. I've been through this. Why don't we do this instead? And you get on the same page and you go, yeah, like that actually, like, let's do that. Because I think that makes sense, right? We do this all the time. We have these conversations and we allow someone else who knows a little bit better to say, let's not just go that direction. Let's figure this out. And so when we pray, when we come to him, he says, don't worry. He says, just bring it to God. Tell him what you need. But then this next piece is super important. And thank him for all he has done. See, this is key. Because this is not what the Israelites were doing. They were forgetting all that God had done for them. And even God says, why won't they believe me after all I've done? And Paul says, don't go into this situation having this conversation with God and forget all he has done. Okay? Ready? Real honest for a minute. Okay? I'm sitting in my office this week. And I start to think about some stuff. And I start to worry. And I start to go... But what if this doesn't happen? And what if that doesn't happen? And what if this doesn't work out? I was worried all the way till Christmas. No joke. I was thinking that far ahead, okay? And then I feel the Holy Spirit kind of like throat punch me and go, hey, do you have what you need today? My answer was yes. And he went, did I get you here? And I went, yes. And he said, then why don't you trust me for the next month or whatever? And then he really, I don't know if God talks to you this way. He talks to me this way. He goes, why don't you go practice that sermon in the auditorium and practice preaching to yourself what you're going to tell people on Sunday? That would sound rude to some of you, but God talks that way to me all the time. Like throat punch is the right term. Because I was so worried 
about what was next and go and forgetting what God has done so far. So Paul says when we do that, he goes, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Makes no sense. Don't know why I have peace in this situation, but I do. Right? I believe that God's going to do it. And he says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the qualifier we have to understand. Because here's what God's peace doesn't mean. Okay? You're looking for a new house. Your budget's $300,000. And you find a house that's $450,000. And you decide, oh, we're just going to go all in on that. And God's going to show up and give me the money I need. Okay? Not the way this works. <laughs> that's the Christmas list. Okay? Here's how this works. You are gifted and led to be a teacher. But teachers don't make a lot of money. They don't. They should be paid more. And you go, I don't know how we're going to make finances work in this situation, but I know I'm called to fulfill this and God is leading me. And you feel peace about that pursuit. That's how this works. That's how when we look at this and we understand, I've prayed about it, I've talked to God, I've thought about what he's done, he's led me to this moment, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. It, it goes beyond just what the logics of the situation are. And it says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. If you're pursuing Jesus, this peace is going to follow your heart. And it's going to protect your heart and help you live this out. In, in verse 8, going on in Philippians 4, Four. It says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What's Paul saying? In our conversation today, the way we would say this is, give yourself the right soundtracks. Think about those things. Continue to pour what's true and good and pure and lovely into your mind so that you will process this. And then in verse 9, it says, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So he says, this is how you have to do it. Like when you get to these moments where worry and fear and anxiety start to rise up, we go, don't worry about it. Talk to God and invite him into the situation. Have that conversation. See where he's leading you. And then allow that peace of following where Jesus is leading you to take you where you need to go. So here's, here's my question for us, okay? What consumes you more, your anxious thoughts or your trust in Jesus? Because here's what, here's what I think, okay? I think sometimes we think of peace. We see people that have peace, and we just think they have no life. Like, oh, you're comfortable and you're happy and things aren't crazy for you and your schedule's in order and you have, like, you just, obviously you have no life or you don't care about anything because busy people, busy people have it together. Like, if busy people are pursuing something and busy people are doing what they need to do and people that have a lot of stress in their life, they're doing something. The people that just have peace all the time, they just have no life. Like, we kind of, we angle towards making fun of people or putting people down that seem to just have this trust in Jesus. Instead of saying, I wish I had that. Because sometimes I think we're jealous that we don't. And so the question is, like, we, we can worry about anything. We can worry about everything. We can worry about money. We can worry about our job. We can worry about our kids. We can worry about an election. We can worry about anything and everything. We can worry about it. Or do I say, I'm going to trust Jesus 
instead of my own anxious thoughts. And back when we, when I talked about how the Israelites came back when they did their scouting report about the promised land, you know, we said, God told us the truth, but he's not big enough to give us the land. Here's what we think sometimes. God is good, but he's not big enough to handle my problems. Like, we'll, we'll come, I, I get it. We come to church and we'll sing and we're happy and we're good. Like, yeah, Jesus loves me and blah, 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 blah. And then we go home, we freak out. And we go, I got to worry about all this stuff. And really, if our focus is on our anxious thoughts more than it's on our trust in Jesus, our picture of God is not big enough. Because he's big enough to handle all of it. And yet it's difficult for us to give him control. So here's the lie one more time, okay? The lie is in order for life to be under control, I need to be in control. Here's the truth I want us to remember, okay? I don't need to know the way when I trust the one who leads the way. So I don't need to know point A to point B and how exactly we're going to get there. But if God's leading me to get there, then I can trust where he's taking me. I don't need to worry about it if God's got it in his hands. Now, that's not to say that we sit back and we just do nothing, right? We have to do our side of it. We have to show up and we have to work hard or we have to put in the hours or whatever. Nobody starts high school and goes, I'm going to go to Harvard and doesn't do any homework or study or anything. Maybe somebody has done it ever. But like normal people don't do that, right? There's a side of it where you go, I've got to do something. I've got to step in and I've got to do what God has called me to do. But I don't need to know how everything works out and how everything processes and what every step of the journey is going to be if I trust the one who leads the way. So think about this. Like when we start to freak out, what would happen if we just stopped and said, I don't need to know the way when I trust the one who leads the way? If I'm really pursuing Jesus, he's going to lead me there. Now the tension comes if we're not following Jesus, now you've got a problem because now you're on your own track. And now this phrase isn't necessarily as settling because we're on our own. We've started to wander instead of discover. So the first trick, or the first idea, is to be on that track to following Jesus and then allow him to lead the way. And I think this is true too. Peace comes when you trust the person who has been there before. Uh, my sister just got back. She did a trip uh, for young adults, which meant like, I don't know, 20 to 29 it hurts my feelings that I'm not a young adult anymore, by the way. Like, I start hearing these things, and I'm like, I am disqualified now. As a, I'm like, and I start to go, I'm a young adult. I only have three kids. And I go, oh, yep, there it is. Okay, so they, she went on this trip. It was all young adults, and they flew over. She did uh, England, Scotland, and Ireland just on, like, a bus trip. And she got over there. She, it was her responsibility, her and a friend. They flew over to London, and then they picked up with the group, and then they— did their whole thing and flew back out of Ireland. Yeah, I'm jealous too. I heard some of you get really jealous right there. And she would send us pictures every morning. And it was like, yeah, thanks, Kayla. That's cool. So like we, she got to do this trip. But she got over there and she was on this trip with somebody. They were leading the way, right? If, if some of us just decided we were going to fly over there and we were just going to, and then the minute we hit the ground, we're like, all right, what are we doing? We got to get to Ireland somehow. How are we doing this, right? That's a very stressful situation. We have to figure out the way. We have to figure out how we're going to get there, where we're going to stay, where we're going to eat, all that stuff. But she had somebody that's already been there. Maybe you've had been on trips like this before where you have someone that's guiding you. They've been to all these places. They know where you're going. And so you just follow them. 
and you just go. And you get to have a wonderful time because somebody else did all the work. This is what this is like. Like, when we allow Jesus to be the one who just understands where we're going and we just follow him, there's peace in that. He knows where we're going to get to. He knows what it's going to take to get there. He knows where we're going to be in five years. I don't. He does. So why don't I follow him and allow him to get me there? He knows what tomorrow brings. And all of a sudden, that takes all of the, like, what I need to figure out and how I need to be in control and just hand it to him and just go, I'm not the one who has to have it anymore. He can get me there. And I'm just going to do what he's called me to do. And this idea of peace uh, you've probably heard this before, that one of the biblical ideas about it, especially in Hebrew, is shalom. It's still said as a greeting and, and as people leave. And here's what shalom means. These, these three words just kind of sum it up well. Wholeness, safety, and completeness. So wholeness, think about it this way. Like, you're not hungry, you're not too cold, you're not too hot, you're in a comfortable chair. Like, you are whole, you're good, you don't lack for anything. You are safe, No one's coming after you. No one's trying to get you. No one can get you. Like, you are completely safe. And then completeness. Your relationships are complete. You've got the people you need. Everything's good. Like, when we feel this, that's shalom. And the point is, sometimes we would say, oh, yeah, I can feel this on a beach on vacation. That's it. The goal is to say, I'm feeling this all the time because of my relationship with Jesus. And Jesus even points this out. In John 14, verse 27, he says this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Here's a question. Did Jesus give you that gift and then you just leave it on the table and don't touch it? We go, no, no, no. I'd rather be busy. I'd rather be anxious. I'd rather be worrying. Or do we take it and say, I'll take that peace of mind and heart. It says, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Says the world's not going to give it to you. Like we don't have the ability to get it from the world the way we understand it with Jesus. When we know Jesus and He's all of what we've talked about, right? Back to Numbers thirteen. He's leading us through life. We come to a point we don't understand, we don't know what's going on, and the goal is to say, I'm going to trust in Jesus because he's taken me to this space, and he's got the reins, and I'm just going to follow where he goes because I trust what he's going to do because I know what he's done before. All of that peace then floods in. I, I don't need to know the way when I trust the one who leads the way. I don't need to know every step or everything. This is what I'll end with, one last little tiny story before we split. I think the ultimate path to peace is complete dependence on Jesus. This is super churchy, I know. But it's the best way to say it. Like, we have to trust him. And we have to depend on him. Because when we take over and we start to think we're more under control when we're in control, the exact opposite is true. And I've said this before, you and I know where you and I are going to go. And that's all we know. We don't know if we keep control of the reins all the time where God's going to go. And that's a much bigger and better place than we're going to go. I've told a version of this story before. I'll just tell it really short. There was a time, I'm not perfect at this, but there was one time that I come back to where, like I told you, I had to get throat punched by the Holy Spirit in my office. So I'm not perfect at it, but 
there was a time where I feel like we, walk, we leaned into this and it worked out really well. Out of college, I was volunteering at this really small church, getting paid nothing. And I was working, but I was ex- getting experience. And it was great. Then I connected with Gateway. Gateway comes along and says, we'll give you an internship. We'll pay you $3,200 for the year. And at the time, I was like, that sounds great, right? Then the church I was volunteering at came back and said, we'll give you fifteen grand to stay. And I had complete peace about it. And I said, nope, going to Gateway. It's going to happen. Now, at that point, I'm telling you, I was working at Best Buy full time, okay? Fifteen grand was more than 50% of the salary I was pulling in at, at you know, Best Buy. We were a young married couple, didn't have a lot of money. Like, would have been easy. Logically, go take the money, right? But that decision is one of the reasons I'm standing here and not, to, not trying to dunk on anybody or anything. But that church doesn't exist anymore. So in a moment where it was like, what makes more sense? What would be more advantageous? Becca and I said, nope, we feel that God's sending us here. We have complete peace that this is going to work out. And God moved. We didn't know all the steps. I didn't know that would lead me to here. But like God moved and did things and like he knew all the steps. And now here we are. There are moments where we're going to say, this doesn't make sense, but I'm following Jesus. And the question is, is that permeating through every aspect of life? Or do we tend to say, yeah, God is good, but I don't think he's big enough to handle my problem, so I've got to pull back control. You can have control or you can have peace. You can't have them both. That's the choice. And so if we want to have peace, we want to not worry or be troubled or whatever. I don't need to know the way because I trust the one who leads the way. And when you start to look back and list all the ways God showed up, it changes your perspective on how you're going to move forward. So what are you holding on to? What are you, say, what are you worrying about? That you're saying, I'm, I'm holding on to this. I got to figure it out. I got to, this is a problem. I got to figure, I got to do it. I got to whatever. And how do we just need to say, I'm going to hand it to Jesus. Let him do his thing. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. But I'm going to let him make that next step. And I pray that that would be something we would all do personally and we would do as a group as well. Would you pray with me this morning? God, this idea of peace um, can be very challenging. It, it almost feels uh, irresponsible sometimes to have peace instead of worry or concern or be troubled about what's going on. And God, I pray that you would help us to find that middle ground where we're being obedient and faithful and doing the things you've called us to do, but that we are fully trusting in your control in the situation. And I know in a room this size, there are things that we've, we're processing and we're worried about. We're anxious. We are tired. We are not knowing what to do next. And I pray that this, this idea, this truth that you've given us, that we don't need to know the way when we trust the one who leads us, I pray that that would saturate those worries for us. And that we would remember what you've done in the past. And that that would influence the way we follow you in the future. 
pray that would happen in big and small ways and that we would have this gift that you've given us, this gift of peace of heart and mind because we know you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.